Hello there. You are listening to the MCC Sunday Sermon. We are so glad you could join us. We pray that this message will encourage you, build your faith on your journey with God. Enjoy. Uh, if we haven't met before, my, my name's Daniel, and uh, my wife, Elise, and I lead the pastoral team here at MCC. My wife is not here because we are four days away from meeting our twin girls. And so... So we're a bit excited about that. Um, we're not allowed to say how big Elise is looking. We're saying how small she's looking. And so Thursday morning, be praying for us. We're reporting to the hospital at 6.30. Um, I don't have much to do on that Thursday morning. I'm just kind of there. Um, but we're expecting to meet our, uh, our twin girls, which is a bit of a miracle for us. So Elise is not here, but in good spirits. It's Christmas. And Christmas is kind of a bit of an interesting time, right? Because for lots of us, Christmas is that time of the year where we find ourselves dusting off a Bible and beginning to look at the story of Christmas. That Christmas as a story seems like a rather ridiculous thing to celebrate unless you understand the whole story, right? Because Christmas on its own would make no sense would make no sense except for the fact that Christmas has got to be seen I don't know if I'm doing that or not. I'm going to keep going. There we go. There we go. Um, Christmas makes absolutely no sense unless you see it in light of the cross. That, that actually Christmas makes sense when you see it as a part of the biggest story of the whole Bible. And so at Christmas, we're celebrating not the fact that a baby was born in a manger. No, at Christmas, we're celebrating the fact that God himself stepped into human history. It's not so much that Jesus was born, but rather that Jesus came. He came on purpose and he came for a purpose. And so it's the reason of Jesus' coming and not the occasion of Jesus' coming that we're celebrating at Christmas. That's why it's such a big deal. Such a big deal. And, and what's interesting for the fact that Jesus came is that every element of that Christmas story, every element of that Christmas account, Christmas account is telling us something about who Jesus is and why he came. And that, of course, Jesus' coming was foretold by prophets hundreds of years earlier. In fact, from the very first moment of the Bible, all of Scripture is pointing towards the fact that Jesus would come at some point. That all of Scripture is pointing itself. The gravitational pull of the cross is pointing all of Scripture to the fact that God would come and be tabernacled amongst us. That Jesus would come, Emmanuel, God with us. And so tonight, I want to consider just maybe one element of that Christmas account. I want for us tonight to, to look at the gifts that the wise men brought to Jesus and what those gifts might say about who Jesus is and what he came to do. Because, of course, every part of the Christmas story is in some way pointing us to who this child is in the manger and what he has come to do. And so tonight, for our Christmas Eve service, our reading is from Matthew Chapter 2, beginning in verse number 1. This is what the Bible says. It says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people of Jesus chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where this Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, 
For this is what the prophet has written, but to you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means least amongst the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will be a shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. Though his intention, King Herod, was not at all to go and worship. He had his own family members killed in order to be able to protect his throne. After they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of frankincense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. It's an interesting account in the story of Christmas. The Magi who traveled from the east hundreds of thousands of kilometers to come and to worship this newborn king, come bearing these gifts. The Bible refers to them as the Magi, and we commonly call them the three wise men. They were most likely people of great wealth and were very well funded because, after all, they had to make such a large journey and they came bearing treasures. They undertook this trip to see Jesus, and that would have been a trip that would have at least taken them a, a few months to be able to carry out. They were most likely astronomers and astrologers, and of course they were men with enough reputation that they were actually able to meet with a foreign king. They were able to meet with Herod himself. We call them the three wise men, but the Bible actually never tells us how many there are. It's kind of assumed that there's three because, of course, they bring him three gifts. But, but the truth is this was probably a traveling party of a great number of people. And, and we assume that there's three because of the gifts. But this was probably a whole crowd of wise men who traveled from a far country to come and pay tribute to this newborn king. And they came to celebrate Jesus' birth and they came bearing gifts. They kind of seem strange because none of us will be giving these kinds of gifts tomorrow. But they came bearing gold and frankincense and myrrh. And the truth is, these wouldn't just be unusual gifts tomorrow on Christmas Day. They're unusual gifts in the first century, especially to give a child as well. But when you look at what these gifts are, you can see even in the detail of what the wise men brought, there it's pointing to who Jesus is and what he came to do. The first gift they brought was gold. It's easy to see why gold was an appropriate gift for Jesus. Because gold is a precious metal, and it's the metal of kings. And so gold was presented to Jesus, acknowledging his right to rule. Of course, for the wise men, they had come to seek out the new king, and so it's obvious that they would bring gold as a gift. In presenting this gift, the wise men pointed to Jesus as more than just the king of the Jews. They were acknowledging him as the king of all kings. But we can't know exactly what the wise men actually knew about Jesus. But perhaps they knew something of what the Old Testament prophets had said of this Messiah to come. In Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6, the Bible says, For to us a child is born, prophesying Jesus' birth. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the greatness of his kingdom and peace, there will be no end. 
And so when the wise men brought gold, they were acknowledging the fact that this baby is actually a king. Jesus is a king. They, they were acknowledging him, that, that actually he's not just any king, he's the king of all kings. When Pilate interviewed Jesus just prior to his crucifixion, he was being crucified as a king. You remember the plaque that went above Jesus when he was nailed to the cross, was read out in different languages to be able to pronounce, this is Jesus, king of the Jews. The religious leaders were super upset about the fact that it acknowledged Jesus at all, but Jesus died acknowledged as the king of all kings. When Pilate interviewed Jesus just prior to his crucifixion. It's recorded for us in John's Gospel, chapter 18. Listen to the words of Jesus in verse 36. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But, my, but now my kingdom is from another place. When the wise men presented gold to Jesus, they were acknowledging him as a king. But Jesus is a king. But he's a king unlike any other king. Generally, kings require their subjects to come and serve them. But Jesus came to actually serve his subjects. Jesus is a king. He's just a king unlike any other king. A king will require their subjects, right, to be able to come and to see them. Well, Jesus didn't wait for his subjects to come and make their way to his castle. No, no, Jesus came to meet us where we were at. He's a king. He's just unlike any other king. A king would generally have servants and subjects, but Jesus called his followers friends. And so Jesus is a king, but he's a king unlike any other king. In fact, he's a king above every other king. That's why the scripture calls Jesus the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And it's part of the wonder of what we celebrate at Christmas, that God on high condescended into human history. That the king of all kings, a king unlike any other king, didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And even in the account of his stepping into human history, he's pointing to that fact that the greatest ruler the world has ever known made himself completely vulnerable and was born in a manger. That They brought him gold because Jesus is a king. Secondly, they brought him frankincense. Frankincense is also a significant gift. Frankincense was an incense that was used in temple worship. It was often mixed with oil and was used to anoint the priests of Israel. And so in presenting this gift, the wise men pointed to Jesus as our great high priest, the one whose life was acceptable and well-pleasing to the Father. And so if gold points to Jesus as a king, that then it's frankincense that points to Jesus as a priest. But in the same way that Jesus is a king, unlike any other king, Jesus is also a priest, but unlike any other priest. Because Jesus is both the priest and the sacrifice at the same time. In the Old Testament, there had been priests. They were there to be able to help govern the relationship between people and God. And so they would come and people would bring sacrifices and they would atone for their sins and they had to keep on doing these things over and over and over again, waiting for a time at which their relationship with God would be made right. When Jesus came, he came not only as the priest, but then he came also as the sacrifice himself. Not that we would need to do it over and over, but actually that he would do it once and for all. Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 25 puts it like this. It says, therefore he, talking about Jesus, is able to save completely those who come to God through him 
because he always lives to intercede for them. Such a high priest truly meets our needs, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Verse 27. Unlike the other high priest, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once and for all when he offered himself. And so the wise men brought gold because Jesus is a king, but he's a king unlike any other king, a king above every other king. But they brought frankincense, which points to the fact that Jesus isn't just a king, he's a priest. But again, he's a priest unlike any other priest because he's both the priest and he's the sacrifice at the same time, paying a penalty for sin that we couldn't pay, that he bore in himself, that he took our place. That There's a story told of, of a prisoner of war camp in the Second World War. And, and the, the men had been sent out to be able to build railways and to build trenches. And as they'd been sent out, they'd been commissioned to go out with, with um, a number of shovels. And when they came back in, the, the, the shovels were counted up and it was found that one of the shovels was missing. And so the person who was in charge of the camp began to berate in broken English the, the prisoner of war um, uh, inmates who were there. And as he began to berate them, he began to explain, one of you needs to take responsibility for the fact that a, a shovel has been taken, thinking that they were trying to usurp his authority. But, well, all the men stood there and all of them realized that they hadn't taken anything. And so the, the, the person in charge began to become more irate and said, well, well if someone doesn't up to it, then, then I'm, you're all going to get flogged. At that moment, one of the soldiers stepped forward and received the punishment that actually all of them were about to be due because one of these shovels was missing. Well, in the middle of him receiving his punishment, but one of the other soldiers who was in charge of the camp went up to the man who was carrying out the punishment and said, um, actually, there's a miscount. All the shovels were there. When that news had spread around the camp that actually one of the prisoners had stepped forward and taken the punishment to spare the others, it gave great resolve in the account of that story. Because one man was willing to step in the place so that others didn't have to receive punishment. The difference between that story and what Jesus did is that actually all of the men in the line were guilty. But Jesus was innocent. Jesus stepped forward. He's the one man who'd never done anything wrong, and yet he stepped forward into our place and took the punishment that we deserved because it came at a price that we could not pay. And so Jesus is a king, but he's a king unlike any other king. But Jesus is also a priest, unlike any other priest, because he's both the priest and the sacrifice at the same time. He is offering himself in our place. It's not just that Jesus is a priest, unlike any other priest, because he's the priest and the sacrifice, but also he's God mediating on behalf of God for men. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 14 puts it like this. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess, that he is not a, a man meeting a, mediating on behalf of men to God, but he's God mediating on behalf of men to God. They brought him gold and they brought him frankincense Lastly, they brought Jesus myrrh. And myrrh, again, is, is kind of an unusual gift to give a child because myrrh was used to embalm dead bodies. 
It's kind of an odd thing to give somebody, right? It's kind of like, you know, going to a, a christening, but presenting the child with a tombstone. It's awkward. It's awkward in the first century. It'd be awkward today, right? And so myrrh was an unusual gift to give because it was used for embalming dead bodies. Um, by any human measure, it'd be odd, if not offensive. But in this case, actually, it was prophesying to who Jesus was. We don't know exactly what the wise men knew about who Jesus was, but we, we can guess that they knew some of what the Old Testament writers had said about Jesus, about his ministry. And so we know that the Old Testament again and again foretold that Jesus would suffer. And so if gold points to Jesus as a king and frankincense points to Jesus as a priest, it's myrrh that prophesies that Jesus is a prophet. Of course, Jesus is a prophet. All the way back in Deuteronomy, in the first five books of the Bible, the scripture points out in Deuteronomy chapter 18 and verse 15, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. That promise is fulfilled in Jesus' coming, so much so that the New Testament writer of the book of Acts points out in Acts chapter 3 and verse 22 that what was prophesied in Deuteronomy has actually taken place when Jesus has come in the New Testament, Acts 3 and verse 22. For Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Jesus is that prophet. And so Jesus is a king unlike any other king, and he's a priest unlike any other priest. And as you can imagine, Jesus is a prophet, but he's a prophet unlike any other prophet. Jesus didn't say, thus saith the Lord. Jesus simply said, I say to you. He's a prophet, but he's a prophet unlike any other prophet. The Old Testament prophets spoke a word from God. Jesus was the word of God. So much so that John, when he starts his gospel account, before he gets to Jesus in the manger, before he talks about the cross, he introduces Jesus this way. This is the start of the gospel of John in verse number one. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And he was with God in the beginning and through him all things were made and without him nothing was made that has been made. That Jesus didn't just speak a word, Jesus literally was the word. It's interesting, isn't it? It's almost fascinating that, that even in the gifts, which we sometimes overlook because it's just a part of the story, it's just something that we're familiar with, that even the gifts speak to who Jesus is as a king and as a priest and as a prophet. And I want you to hear me tonight in this before we come to be able to share communion together because tonight we're going to share communion. Tonight is actually an opportunity for us to be able to worship, but we've had carols. But tonight is a chance for us to be able to worship and to be able to say thank you. And I want to encourage you, if you not usually go to church, if this is all a bit new to you, I want to encourage you, worshiping God is the most natural thing in the world to be able to do. On your way in tonight, you would have been given some communion emblems. And as we come to celebrate those, I'm going to lead us tonight in doing that. And if you've not taken communion for a little while, you can take it tonight. And I want to encourage you as you do so, you don't need to be confirmed. You don't need to have attended the church. You don't need to sign anything. What you do need to do is, with a level of sincerity that you can muster in your own heart, pause and reflect and say thank you. And so as we take communion tonight, in just a few minutes' time, 
I want us to think about those gifts. That as a prophet, Jesus confronts, which ought to produce in us repentance. It ought to produce in us a turning of our ways. Not turning in any direction. Not turning aimlessly. But but turning from the way we've been living and turning towards Jesus. To to turn away from living as ourself as Lord and turning towards Jesus as being our Lord. That as a prophet, Jesus confronts us, which is uncomfortable, but it ought to lead us towards repentance. That, That as a priest, Jesus comes to comfort us, which ought to produce in us an enabling a desire to want to live a life that pleases and brings glory to God. The Bible, Jesus says in John, he says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. I used to read that and think that if we really want to prove that we love God, then the way that we can show God that we love him is by doing all the things that he put on the list, you know, the Ten Commandments and those sorts of things. That's how we prove it. But if you read it, you understand that actually Jesus is not saying, if you love me, you'll prove it by keeping my commandments. But but rather, if you love me, the natural desire and inclination of your heart will actually be to want to, want to be, to live in obedience. Think about how dysfunctional it would be for me to be able to say to Elise, if I gave her a bunch of roses, which she has requested for next Thursday, by the way. Imagine how dysfunctional it would be for me to go and take a bunch of flowers to Elise and say, see, I told you that I love you. That would be dysfunctional, right? When I buy flowers for Elise, which is not as often as she would like, but when I do buy flowers for Elise, it's not to prove that I love her. It's because I love her. That's what Jesus is saying, that if you love me, There'll be a desire in you. There'll be an enabling in you to to want to keep my commandments. And so as a priest, Jesus comforts, which produces in us an enabling, a desire to want to live in a way that honors him. And finally, as king, Jesus commands, which produces in us transformation. You could think of it this way as the worship team comes back tonight, that Jesus came to speak to us as a prophet. He came to walk with us as a priest, and he came to rule over us as a king. The wise men didn't come to see a baby. In fact, they might not have even realized how old Jesus was. They came because they knew that there was something different about this king. The truth is, in the nativity plays, the wise men are right there alongside the shepherds, but most Bible scholars will point out that the wise men don't make it to the manger they visit Jesus in a house. When they tell Herod about this king that's been born, Herod orders that all babies under the age of two are to be killed because he wants to make sure that he doesn't miss the child. But when Mary and Joseph dedicate Jesus in the temple, they come and the offering that they bring would kind of suggest that the wise men hadn't arrived yet because the offering that they bring is the offering that would have been brought by people who were not particularly well off. But of course, if the Magi had already arrived and delivered to them the gold fit for a king, you would have imagined they would have done fairly well out of that transaction. And so while we picture the wise men coming as three guys bearing small gifts to a manger, the truth is that's probably not how it happened. 
They came after Jesus' birth and to a house and not bearing small gifts that you could hold in your hands, but bearing the kinds of gifts that you would carry in a large procession with many servants from a distant place. They came bearing those gifts to Jesus. They didn't come because of what Jesus was. They came because of who Jesus was. It was Jesus that compelled them to come. It was who Jesus was that compelled them to count the cost and to follow the star for those many kilometers and days and weeks and months. It was who Jesus was that caused them to worship as we're about to do and to bring their gifts and freely offer them up. A few years ago, I was walking past this big old church and on one side of the building, they had put up this mural. It was a painting of a silhouette and you could see the star and you could tell that it was obviously the Christmas story and you could see wise men coming along and and across the top, they put a big slogan that said, wise men still seek Jesus. I thought, how true is that? That wise people, not just 2,000 years ago, but, but even tonight, that the wise people still seek Jesus. That the same that was true for them is also true for us. It's who Jesus is that compels us to come to him, to ask for his forgiveness and to invite him to be the Lord and Savior of our lives. It's who Jesus is that compels us to count the cost and to take up our cross and to follow him on a daily basis. It's who Jesus is that causes us to worship him with all that we are and with all that we have. The journey that the wise men took is actually a journey that each of us take to come, to worship, to lay down those things that once seemed like they were really important, but now in light of Jesus, don't seem as important as they once did. That's the act of worship that Christmas, that Christmas encourages. Would you stand with me tonight? You would have received on your way in tonight a little communion cup. It's got a wafer on the top and some juice. If you don't have one and you'd like one, if you just very quickly just give a little wave, then some of our team who are walking up and down the aisles will make sure that you get one of those. There are some people just here in the third row. You can tell because it's my mother-in-law. And just before we take communion together and worship and take the moment to be able to do that. I shared this on the Christmas carols night, but it's such an apt description of what it is we're actually celebrating. Many of you will know that the first cosmonaut in space was a Russian guy. His name was Yuri Gangarin. He was the first person actually to go around the earth one complete rotation. When he came back, there was a press conference given and famously Gangaran pointed out that he'd been up into the heavens and he'd looked and there was no God. God doesn't exist. C.S. Lewis, who himself had been a former atheist and now at this stage in his life had actually given his life to God and was perhaps one of the greatest Christian apologetics writers of the last century. In response to Gangaran's claim that he'd been up into the heavens, he'd looked and there's no God, wrote an article called The Seeing Eye. And in it, he pointed out the fact that if God were to be real, 
then we should not expect to relate to him the way that the person who lives on the first story of a building relates to the person who lives on the second story. We wouldn't simply go upstairs to go and find him. That if God were really real, it wouldn't be going out into space to find God. Instead, we would relate to him the same way that perhaps Hamlet might relate to Shakespeare. Since Shakespeare is the author of Hamlet's whole world, everything that Hamlet knows, even the author and creator of Hamlet himself, the only way for Hamlet to ever really know Shakespeare is if Shakespeare is to leave details about himself in the story. At Christmas, what we're celebrating is not that a baby was born. We're celebrating that God condescended into human history. That God wrote himself into the story. Jesus, who was there at the foundation of the earth, who spoke and the universe sprawled out. God squeezed into skin. The king, but but a king unlike any other king who didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Not not just a king, but as a priest to offer himself both as the priest and the sacrifice that he would mediate on our behalf, our great high priest who stands in the gap for us and appeals for us before God the Father. And our prophet speaking to us if we'd open our heart to hear what he's got to say. Would you take your communion in your hands tonight? If you tear the top part there, you'll be able to take out the little wafer that's there. The reason why we take the wafer is a reminder to us. When Jesus shared the Last Supper, we said that Christmas doesn't make any sense unless you remember that it's actually connected to the cross. That's why Jesus came. Well, at the Last Supper with his disciples, just before he went to the cross, Jesus took some bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. The wafer that you're holding in your hand tonight is a reminder to us. It's a reminder of the fact that Jesus' body was broken at the cross in order that our lives might be made whole. That's the reason. Just underneath it is the little cup of juice. It's just juice. That's all it is. But it does remind us of the fact that Jesus' blood was shed for the forgiveness of our sins. That God in the most spectacular way did not send somebody else to remind us that he loves us. He came bearing the message himself. He bore it in his own body when his body was broken and his blood was shed. That was for you. That was for me. That was to be an everlasting reminder of how much value God sees in you how much God loves you, how much God thought it was all worth it. And so tonight, would you eat and drink together? And then team's going to lead us in a song of worship. I'd love it if we would sing and worship together tonight. In Jesus' name. Jesus, we thank you so much for the fact that you came for a reason and a purpose. The Lord, it was appointed that you might come in our place and pay the price that we could not pay, offering yourself Lord, we celebrate Christmas tonight, but we also do it in view of Easter, that that was the purpose for your coming. And so tonight we worship. God, tonight we say thank you. Lord, if you did nothing else for us, the fact that you sent your son would be enough. Lord, we thank you for that tonight. In Jesus' name.
Thank you once again for joining us. Feel free to contact us on our Facebook, our website, and jump on our Instagram at mcc.church. Also, make sure to rate and review as well as share. Finally, from all the team at MCC, have a blessed day. And until next time, bless you.